0: Now, this might be hard for some of you to take, but here's the reality. Some of you have never given God an offering in your entire life.
1: Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. And we're in the middle of a message about money and tithing. When God has changed our hearts and we're striving to build powerhouse kingdom families, our attitude to money should demonstrate our belief that everything belongs to God in the first place.
0: I don't know any other place in the Bible where Jesus says, test me, try me. God says, test me, try me in this. You will not lose, but you gotta take a step of faith.
1: Thanks for joining us today. Here is Pastor Jeff as he continues Live to Give.
0: Now this might be hard for some of you to take, but here's the reality. Some of you have never given God an offering in your entire life because you've never given Him a tithe. And you can't give an offering until you've given a tithe. Now once again, I know that was a bit... Well, it was clear. Look, you know, in the past, I used to apologize for these sermons. I, I, I can't do that anymore. You got to get to a point where you, okay, why is pastor doing this? You, you have to get to that point where sooner or later we become a family where we trust each other and we're assuming we're trying to help each other. I can't do anything about that. And I said years ago that it's impossible to manipulate and coerce people in giving their money because they're never going to do it no matter what you say until the heart's transformed. So my job is to teach you what Jesus says about this. And when your heart's transformed, it'll be a natural byproduct, which is why I feel no pressure. It's not my job. My job is simply to give you the gospel. But here's what I'm assuming. I think over the years I've learned that most of you in this room do really want to live a life that models your belief that everything belongs to God. I think you really do want to invest in the kingdom and eternity. I really think most of you want to sow great seeds and reap a great harvest. I do believe that. I also believe that you do want to worship God with sacrifice. That's your heart. That you want to give up things you love for something you love more. That you want his purposes to come to fruition in your life. I think most of you are exactly like that. I also think that you want your worship and your sacrifice and your stewardship to be demonstrated in the tithe and the first fruits principle. I think that many of you would agree. You know, I do need to give, I give God nothing. I give God leftovers. I mean, I just give him what I think I don't need or want. I do really want to be the kind of person that brings the very best, the first fruits. I mean, it's all the way back in Genesis and it's all the way through Revelation. That's who I want to be. The problem is your heart's right, but you learned this too late in life in your mind And now you're saying, Jeff, I would love to, but you don't know. You don't understand. I got so much debt, I can barely breathe. I can't do this. I wanna do it, but I can't. Okay, here's what you need to do. Here's where you go from here, according to the scripture. And here's how it solves the tension in marriage. First, you make a decision today to begin living a Christ-like life in relation to our finances. So start today, forget about the past. Don't beat yourself up. It is what it is. We've all been there. We've all done that. Start today. Now, here's the second thing you're gonna have to do you got to make a decision today to get out of debt. Don't you wish you could go to sleep and you wake up tomorrow and all the debt is gone? Don't you wish Jesus would do a supernatural work and suddenly all your debt disappears? Wouldn't that be, that would be the greatest miracle of all to most of you. The reality though is God doesn't work that way because he wants you to go on this faith journey with him. Now, I wanna tell you something about the marriage. If you're experiencing this in marriage or even as a single person, do you know almost immediately after you sign up, some of the tension's gonna leave? When I was going through my anxiety disorder, you say, oh boy, man, it was a whole year he hadn't mentioned it, here we go again. (laughs) I was in such disarray and I was panicking literally about panicking. That's pretty bad, isn't it? You're panicking about panicking. You're afraid that you might be fearful. And when I went to the, the Dr. Lindenheimer that I've talked about so often... And I still go to visit about every four months. And I'm sitting there in the chair and I'm saying, Dr. Lindenheimer, I don't know what's going on. I'm losing my mind. I can't get up in the morning. I, I, I'm anxious every time I hear an ambulance. I think I'm dying. I'm all messed up. You got to help me. And finally, after I'd just been, you know, kind of vomiting on him, all these issues that I had, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, Jeff, you're going to get better. And as soon as he said that, it was like, Wow there's light at the end of this tunnel. I'm going to get, There's hope. As soon as you make the right decision in this area, what happens is you sense the fact that, wow, there is hope. I'm going to do what is necessary. And I'm going to get out of this and position myself where I can be faithful to God. And you know what happens in your marriage? I've seen this. The two of you now will come together and there will be a peace because you know you're doing the right thing. There's a real joy and satisfaction that comes from knowing together you're gonna tackle this thing and the truth will set you free. Do you remember what happened in Genesis 4, 6? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? He's basically saying, Cain, do you wanna feel better? Do the right thing, do the right thing. There's a sense of accomplishment between husband and wife when you come together and claim small victories in this area. You start to sacrifice for a common goal. You begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel and hope. Everything begins to shift and change. It's almost like for the joy set before you, you now endure the cross. And it will be a cross. You didn't get into this situation overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. But the journey is fulfilling because every step of the way, God will show you how he will be faithful as you move in and begin to do the right thing. And soon you will be freed up to live and invest in kingdom realities. And anybody who uses their resources in this manner knows that it's so fulfilling, guys. Nothing better. When we lived in Cincinnati and I was in seminary, I remember coming home uh, one day after school and I was on 75 and I had to turn off to go to the apartments Robin and I lived in. We had Delaney at that point. And as I'm coming to the intersection... I looked down, looked left, and there's, a, there's somebody under the bridge in, in somewhat raggedy clothes, but not too raggedy, with a sign. But I had the sense that God wanted me to go there. Now, I know that so many of these things are rackets. I got that. I understand that completely. And I don't want to become an enabler. But in this particular case, I could hear the voice of God, not audibly, but I knew God wanted me to go there. So I drove my car, parked under the bridge, and he had a unique sign and the sign said, I don't want money. I just need food for my kids. And he kind of looked like a fault. You know, he kind of looked that part. So I took him to Kroger, which is a popular supermarket on the East Coast. And I, I said, look, just get whatever you need. And I'll be waiting on you right here. So he went through and filled up the buggy. I think it was about $250, which Robin and I did not have at that point. But at least we had a roof over our heads and food to eat. And I noticed when I looked in his cart, it was things you would buy for little kids. Things that would last, imperishables. I say this guy's on the—he's on the level. No beer, you know, no whiskey, no Jack Daniels. All things that he would need, you would need, staples. And I took him out. Uh, back, he said, "Just drop me at the bridge, and I'll—I'll I'll have my wife come and get me. I'll tell her we have food." I said, "Let me take you home." He said, "No, it's—it's—we're right. fine. But I want to thank you." I got in my car and I started driving back home. And I started weeping. I'm not sure why. I wasn't sure why at the point at the time, but it dawned on me later. There is an incredible deep joy and sense of satisfaction when we're able to help someone who's in genuine need. And I think most of your hearts are like that. You find yourself in a position where you don't know how to get out of it. It breaks your heart. That's why. First, you've got to make a decision. You have to make a decision to begin living a Christ-like life in relation to your finances. Second, you've got to do what's necessary to get out of debt. By the way, let me say again, I've been here. I was here in this particular predicament when we lived in New Zealand. I was not good in this area. I'm a sanguine personality. I love the game of golf. And if I saw it and wanted it, I bought it. And I was hugely responsible for the financial situation Robin and I found ourselves in. And we had a a financial counselor come over and speak with us. And we did that because I'd never seen my wife cry before. And we were going over the budget and the sheets. We had two kids and I saw her cry. First time and only time I've ever seen her cry. And I realized I had not been a good husband in this area. She was under enormous pressure. And so we got a a financer to come over and to deal with us. Unfortunately, it was the wrong person to invite over. It was actually my brother-in-law who was an accountant. And his comment to us was, well, you knew you were going to be poor when you decided to go into ministry. That was his advice to us. And I thought, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible teaches me at all. I realized that the major issue was not a lack of money, it was a behavioral problem. And Robin and I began at that moment, we developed the envelope system at the advice of someone else where we put the cash that we got in envelopes and when it's gone at the end of the month, it's gone. So you live within your means. That was difficult for me, man, because that golf envelope did not have as much money as I wanted it to have. So, you know, it was difficult parking my car and sneaking on golf courses without paying. That was very difficult. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But I noticed as soon as my wife and I started honoring God, not only in our tithe, but also in the way we used our money, there was an instant change. Her respect for me, the peace in the home, and the trust that because we're doing the right thing, God's going to move here. And the third thing, if you want God involved in this, You've got to make a decision to honor God by tithing. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are going to say, you know, Pastor Jeff, this seems counterproductive to me. What you're telling me is I'm in debt and I don't have a lot of money. And to solve that, give 10% of everything I have away. But hold on a second. Do you want to understand how the gospel is the great inversion? To gain my life, I must lose it. If I want to live, I must first die. To go up, I must first go down. And our ultimate example is Jesus. To win the ultimate victory, he must suffer the ultimate defeat. And I'm telling you that when it comes to your finances, the great inversion is in play. So much so that the sixth principle tells us that the tithe is the only area in life where God says, try me. God looks at you and he says, test me in this. I can't be an enabler. I can't reward you for bad behavior, but if you'll test me in this, man, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on you, but you got to make the first move. And the phrase in the Bible is without parallel. It's in reference to an armored glove called the gauntlet. And so when someone felt like they had been insulted, if they, if they looked at a person and said, you know, I know what you said and I know what you meant and I recognize your insult. So that's it. And you would take off the gauntlet and you would throw down the gauntlet and say, that's it, you and me, one-on-one, pal. Mono, mono, you and me, we're gonna solve this. So God takes that same principle in Malachi and he throws down the gauntlet to his people. And he says, you don't think you can trust me? You don't think I know what you make? You don't think I know what my part is? You don't think I know what you're giving or holding or withholding? Try me, test me in this. Right now, right here, you and me one-on-one. It's gonna take some faith, but you will not lose in this. I don't know any other place in the Bible where Jesus says, test me, try me. God says, test me, try me in this. You will not lose, but you gotta take a step of faith.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines. Our message, Live to Give, is about honouring God by being stewards of what we have, treating it as gods in the first place. As the last message in the Powerhouse series, this attitude to money affects marriage relationships and the rest of the family, building trust in God and not our own ability to earn and invest. Here's Pastor Jeff as he finishes up.
0: Rick Olympias... I had heard his story before, but uh, I wanted to know greater details. So on Friday morning, I invited him for a coffee at Coffee Clatch, and he shows up, and I said, look, I've heard your story. Can Can you let me know details? I want to get my facts right. And he said, Jeff, for the most part of our lives, listen, for the most part of our lives, my wife and I were about status seeking. We thought we had to have everything to show everybody that we were important, and by doing that, we'd get even more. And we were credit happy, man. Anything we wanted to give the idea or the picture that we had people of prestige, or we were people of prestige, we bought it. And then one day, even though we were both working, it wasn't an absence of money. It was just the way we were related to it. One day we looked at the budget sheet. We looked at where we were and we realized we're in trouble. There's no way to recover from this. We were in so deep that we needed a miracle. And what I really liked about Rick is Rick said, look, I'm not saying God works with everybody this way. I'm just telling you the story of how God worked with me. And God started saying this to me. You're a Christian in name only because you've never put God on the front burner of your life, Rick. And now you're in so deep and you're in so deep and now you want me to rescue you. Rick said he could hear God saying, why have you robbed me of all the grace and love I've given you? I've invested in you with an enormous grace, mercy, and love, and I've got nothing in my return. Rick said, I could hear the Spirit of God saying to me that I have given you everything. You've given me nothing. The kingdom of God is not important to you. And Rick said he and his lovely wife got together and they looked at all they had, and suddenly they felt ashamed because they realized two-thirds of the stuff they didn't even need. It was all for look. That I was selfish. We were selfish. And we realized in that one moment, we had disrespected God that we needed a behavioral change. And I liked the fact that Rick was so honest because he said, it wasn't easy, Jeff. It was hard because basically God said this to me. I am the only one, Rick, that can help you out of this situation. Test me in this. But Rick, if you don't test me in this, I'm going to test you and I'm going to take everything you have away from you. So it's your call. You test me or I'm going to test you. And Rick said, in that moment, they decided as a couple to look at what they didn't need. They started tithing and they believed that God was saying, give me the first fruits of your life and watch what I can do. Rick said, we turned everything over to him. We got rid of things we didn't need. We stopped robbing God. We gave him the first fruits of our life. Again, he said, it wasn't easy. And Jeff, he said, I can tell you that in those first few years, I really can't explain how we made it. The only explanation I have is supernatural algebra. (laughs) He said, "I, I don't know how we managed to do it, but we realized as long as we were faithful to God, we always seemed to have enough. So we decided to continue that practice. And we got to the point where we were actually fearful not to keep doing it. That would be a slap in the face of God. He had proven himself. Why would we not continue? And Rick said, the goal of my life at this point now is to stand before God in this area and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, Rick was able to retire at 55. (laughs) He had been so faithful that God blessed him so much No need for him to work now. So he volunteers all of his time in ministry. And on Monday night prayer meeting next week, we're gonna ordain him into ministry because he wants to serve full time in hospice and in chaplaincy. And he got there because at one point in his life, he said, no, let's test God in this and see what he will do. That's why seven, tithing, positions me to receive blessings from God. That is the clear teaching of scripture where the Bible says, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So that the message of scripture is no tithe, no returning. If you don't give God the first fruits, he's not an enabler and the windows of heaven are shut. It is a poetic license illustrating a barrier between you and God. It doesn't mean you're not saved. Do not put words in my mouth. You're saved by grace through faith. That is not what this sermon's about. This sermon is about, do you want God involved in this area of your life or not? You're either gonna go at it alone or go at it with God. But there is a natural byproduct in your heart of someone whose heart has been transformed that you really do want to position yourself where you can sow generously that you might reap a great harvest. That's heart revealing. Has the gospel truly penetrated your heart? So eight, disobedience then in tithes and offerings equals stealing from God. Now, don't shoot the messenger. God said to his people, why will you rob me? You can't rob somebody. Folks, the Bible teaches you that everything you have is from God. And if you take that 100% that you have, 10% of it is not yours. The only thing that is yours is the 90. That's a pretty good deal by God, isn't it? Sweet deal. Everything's for me. 90s, you get to use. 10 goes back to the purposes that I have in this world. Now, how does this Relieve some of the tension. Let me tell you what's happened in my own life. When I'm tithing, this is important. When I am tithing, there is a peace that comes in knowing that when hard times come, I am not reaping the whirlwind of my own disobedience to God. There's a peace that knows if hard times do come, God is doing something in my life because it's not here because I've disobeyed him. I have been obedient in this aspect of my life, which is why God says, test me and I will open the windows of heaven. You've got to have a paradigm shift in your life. Because most of us think by withholding, you are protecting your money. But in reality, you are destroying the potential of God's blessings to permeate your life. So here's what you do. Here's your action point. First, make a decision today to begin living a Christ-like life in relation to our finances. You can make the decision today. And if you're serious about it, number two, do everything you can Do what is necessary to get out of debt. You don't know what to do? Walk out there, sign up at the table. We will coach you through it and you can position yourself where you will be in a place to do what your heart really wants to do. Three, make a decision to honor God by tithing. It's the great inversion. Everybody can do this part you decide today, I don't want to go up my finances alone. And I'm going to right now set aside the first fruits that belongs to God anyway. And I'm going to start doing it right now. I'm going to test them and see what God will do. Why would God say, test me and then fail you? It's really a matter of your faith and trust, not his ability or faithfulness. So one, here's the advantage. Your countenance is lifted when you are doing what's right. I'm telling you, your wife, your husband, you will come together and you will begin to be for each other, not against each other. And you will know you're on the right path to freedom. Two, your faith and trust in God are unifying. This will unify you toward a common goal and you will have patience with each other and peace with each other. And it will galvanize the marriage because you're marching toward the same goal. Three, Living for a purpose greater than yourself galvanizes a marriage, especially in the area of a woman's love for her husband. When she sees her husband start living his life for more than just stuff, it is she is drawn to him. And that's why I always tell men, you may not understand this, but if you want a regular covenant renewal ceremony, let your wife see that you live for a purpose greater than your own selfish, narcissistic desires. We know that, we proved that last week in our sex survey that was written and published. We know it. Fourth, God's way of dealing with your money frees you up to invest in things that matter. That's what you're really after. I truly believe that, that your heart is right. So you have one of three things to do. One, walk out, go to the table, get out of debt. Two, some of you aren't in debt, but you're just not being faithful with your first fruits. You go to the app and decide today, I'm giving to God what is rightfully his. Don't wait every week to decide. Decide once and for all. Let it come out automatically, the first fruits off the top to God and his work in the world. And three, some of you need this. See, the reason your heart's not moved in this message because you've never made this covenant. Ah, now the cat is out of the back. See, you've never died your old way and said, my passions are God's passions. God's objectives are my objectives, God's goal. thats my, Because you've never had this covenant experience. And that's why you wonder why you're angry and frustrated and why you don't trust the pastor when he preaches on this because your heart's not been changed yet. If your heart has been changed, here's what you're thinking right now. Pastor, you're right, pray for me. That's what you're thinking. I need, to, I need to get this right in my life. So if you're in the room and you've never done that, this is the weekend where you enter the covenant and then the power of God will not only change what you do, he will change what you want to do. Amen? Father, thank you for your love For us, thank you for your guidance in our lives. And I would pray in Christ's name right now that if there's any person that has not yet entered into a covenant with you in baptism, that this would be the weekend that they do it. And then the spirit of God would begin to transform them. I pray for us, those of us who have already been in that covenant and have been in a while, that our eyes would be open, that you are the owner, we are the tenant. And one day we will stand before you And we will answer the question, how did we steward the resources God gave to us? May we have done so in such a way that you would look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
1: Thanks for joining us on today with Jeff Vines, and that's the end of our message about living to give. We look forward to your company next time when we'll hear a new message from Pastor Jeff. I will to the me. I will to you. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way Vision is connecting faith to your life.